we have an inherent, I think, problem with authority. If you are a child in here, um, there are times that you all have problems with the authorities over you, your moms, your dads, your teachers, principals, coaches. I am sure this week that uh, teenagers and young kids, that there has probably been times this week that you have complained about authorities in your life. Now, this is also um, relevant to us as adults. We have problems with authority over us as well. Show of hands. No, we're not going to show hands. How many of you have complained about your boss? Ruby, don't raise your hand. I knew it was coming. How many of you have complained about your boss or maybe... Uh, the government, the president, uh, the senators, uh, other authority structures in your life this week. We have problems with authority in our life. I, I don't know about you, but I, and I, I still kind of am a rebel at heart. When I was younger, um, I loved music and films and things that um, would communicate um, rebelling against the authority structures, the man, the systems over us. But as a young 20-year-old, I, I think I really thought that, you know, that me and my friends could do it better. I don't know if you've been there. I, I think our problem with authority runs deep within us. And certainly... Right? That if we were to, to play this out and to talk about it and, and have an open discussion, we could very easily come up with examples of how maybe the, the government has, has done things to which maybe we shouldn't put all of our trust and hope and authority in the government structures. Uh, certainly, churches have done things. In, in other words, structures that have power have done things to hurt you, to hurt me, to hurt people. And so sometimes it makes it difficult to give that authority to these offices, to these systems, to these places. But I want to argue this morning that I think that this rebellion against authority runs deeper than just the broken systems of our world. I think this I think this rebellion against authority is deep within us and it is at the core of who we are. And I think the problem is, is that all of us want complete and absolute control over our own lives, don't we? This battle has always been there. Do you remember in the garden? How the serpent lured Eve away? Did God really say? He just doesn't want you to be like Him. Look, take and eat. Get authority. Take control of your own life. Don't let God control you anymore. And when this happened, 
this disordered thinking led to sin and led to our world being completely disordered. Completely disordered to a place to where it's. To me, it's got to seem at times just unrecognizable to how it was supposed to be. And so it's easy then to look at our broken, disordered world, our broken, disordered society, our broken and disordered symptoms and see the corruption. And then to look at that and to say, there is no way I am giving those people, that person, these things, authority over my life. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you this morning would give your complete authority to Trump, Biden, Pelosi, Schumer. I think it's easy to see that. What's more difficult is to see and notice and take inventory of the fact that we're corrupt as well. And in our own corruption, in, in the sin that is embedded and that is within inside us, that is inside me, that I make a horrible authority of my own life. And the problem is, is that many of us don't believe this. Consider the problems of our world. What is truth? What about how do we overcome sickness and disease? How do we overcome death? How do we triumph over the evil that's in this world and the demonic forces that we see at play all around us? When we begin to truly stare and think about these issues What comes home to us, what should come home to us, is that we are completely inadequate to deal with these things. And what God wants you to see this morning in this text, what God is telling us in this text this morning, is that Jesus comes to us with all authority, and this is really good news, that we are not left on our own. That Mark, as he is writing this, God is using Mark to to communicate to us in this text that when we see Jesus, that we see Jesus in all that he says and all that he does as demonstrating the authority that he has. He is not coming to earn or to gain authority. He has all authority and everything that he does demonstrates the authority that he has. He is the sovereign king of the universe. And so it is amazing when we come to this text and we see Jesus, the sovereign king, Entering into our world that has been so corrupted by the fall. That has been so corrupted by sin. And that the chaos that has gone 
forward since the fall is, is so crazy that the creation, we don't even recognize this sovereign king and give him the authority that he deserves. Now, isn't it crazy that somebody could see the sovereign king of the universe and say, no thanks, I'm doing just fine on my own. Some of you are already nervous. And you probably should be. Authority confronts false authority. And so as we consider Jesus and the authority of Jesus this morning... What we see is that the authority of Jesus is going to confront false authority. We're going to see it in this text. One of the things that's being set up is that there's going to be this confrontation all the way through the gospel where Jesus is confronting the religious authority. Jesus is confronting the demonic authority. Jesus is confronting the, um, uh, the, the philosophical authority of the day. Jesus is confronting the personal autonomous authority that lives inside you and me. It is just what happens. Authority confronts false authority. And so the question, the question that is going to be begged of you how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to this authority? Now, if you have been with us over the past couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago as I was preaching and preaching on the, the passage where Jesus went out into the wilderness, one of the things that I wanted to bring out, the, the irony is that Jesus, the co-creator of the universe, goes into the wilderness where this, in this world that he created, and remember we said that the, the animals were, were wild, not as they should be. That Satan had dominion and was confronting Jesus. That is not how it should be. And one of the things that I told you then, and what we're seeing play out now, is that Jesus was going from one wilderness to another wilderness. This wilderness is just populated with people. That it's the same chaos. It's the same disordered world. And in this disordered world, people are following evil men. And that they are following things, they are given authority to people and things that they were never meant to give ultimate authority to. And one of the things that I'm struck by, and we have examples of this all throughout history, one of the things I'm struck by is how people use deceptive speech to gain authority. All of the evil tyrants that we know of throughout history have used speech to deceive people. Have you ever... Has it ever troubled you? It's very troubling to me when I think about Nazi Germany and when you think about Hitler. And that one of the tools of Hitler in 
um, in, in executing his satanic um, propaganda and plan was that the German church got in line right behind him? They believed his message? If you've ever watched or seen a speech that Hitler gave, it kind of seems, and, and some people say this, and I think there's some truth to it, that you know, if you say something, if you repeat a lie enough, and if you say it convincingly enough, and maybe if you wave your hands and beat the pulpit enough, that people are going to believe it, because you're speaking authoritatively, What's interesting is that this whole problem that we're in, in Genesis 3, Eve was led astray by deceptive words, by half-truths, that the serpent, the Satan came, and, and the whole notion of who Satan is, he is the deceiver, he is the one who tricks with words, he is the one who manipulates with his tongue. He, he, he comes and he utters, did God really say? And at that moment, the world changed. And as Jesus comes, and as he begins his ministry, notice that the text tells us that Jesus comes teaching. If we were to go back to verses 14 and 15, Notice Jesus comes on the scene after John had been taken into custody. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying with his words, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here in verse 21, it says they went to Capernaum and immediately look at the first thing Jesus did. He entered the synagogue to teach, to open his mouth, to proclaim something. Later on in this passage, notice what Jesus says in verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. That Jesus came to proclaim and he came to proclaim truth. And in our passage this morning, we have Jesus coming into Capernaum and coming into the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place where people would gather and they would hear ideas. And they would sit around and, and many times teachers, scribes would come in and they would debate. And they would debate matters of the law and matters of other things. And I think it's probably pretty clear that the, the folks of Capernaum had heard about Jesus, they had heard that he was teaching, and they invited him in, because this would have been the thing to do, to hear a, a new teacher, and boy, were they surprised when they heard his message. Look at what they tell us in verse 22. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching as one having authority and not as the scribes. And then they get again in verse 27. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. 
And Gary mentioned last week that, that one of the ways that, that we see what Jesus was doing is that what would happen is that within the synagogues that somebody would get up and say, hey, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says this and Rabbi so-and-so says this. And they're quoting these rabbis and they're, they're, they're talking and they're debating arguments about these rabbis. And Jesus, when he comes in, I believe we don't have the content of the message, which is fascinating, but I think Mark doesn't give us the content because it might distract us from the point. Jesus comes in with authority, and I think it was something like this. Do you remember these words? You have heard it say, said, do not murder. Then what does Jesus say? But I say to you, what scandal. Jesus is saying that he has the authority, that he has the market on the truth, so that he can declare from himself, not based on anything else. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the source of authority on these matters. What's fascinating, if we were to go to Luke chapter 4, in Luke we get this, this, this same passage here in Luke. Luke, the, the, the difference is that before Jesus comes to Capernaum, he was in Nazareth, in his hometown. And Jesus goes in and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what Jesus preaches. Think about this. Jesus reads Isaiah, hands him the scroll, sits down and says, it's talking about me. I'm the Messiah. That's authority. And they just love that, didn't they? They said, who is this? Think about this. Think about what's going on. Who is this? Isn't this Joseph's son? What authority does he have? Messiah, this is Joseph's son, the carpenter. And it didn't stop there. Jesus doubles down and that account ends with them at the edge of a cliff trying to throw Jesus off. What I want you to see is that as Jesus comes and as he opens his mouth and as he teaches, he is teaching as one who has authority because he does have authority. He is the source of truth. They also call it, it's interesting, they also call it a um, new teaching. And can you imagine, certainly we can see and infer that this message from Jesus was new. That in one sense, Jesus is proclaiming that a new day is here. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is here. This is new. But then also think about this, how disordered the truth had become. And so that you've got all these laws and the law had been misrepresented in so many ways that they don't even understand the function of the law. And so Jesus, in coming and in much of His teaching, He is confronting the disordered truth that God's people were believing. What audacity. What authority. Jesus has the authority to correct and make right. He is the source of truth. He is truth. His words are the authority. Now what's fascinating, this account that Mark gives us, 
if you notice when I was reading, it's not just Jesus teaching. Now, don't don't miss the point. Mark tells us over 16 times that Jesus was te- uses the verb that he was teaching. It's, it's very important in the book of Mark. Mark and Mark gives us this literary device to bring out something else that we're supposed to to see from the text. And so you have Jesus teaching and it ends with his teaching. And in the middle, there's this really weird thing that happens. This man that is possessed by demons all of a sudden starts screaming out. Further evidence of the sovereign king coming to a disordered world. In Ephesians chapter 2. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked. Listen to this. According to the course of this world. According to the prince. Of the power of the air. Of the spirit. That is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. There is a prince of this world. The evil one. And he is at work in all who don't believe. But we know this, don't we? You remember Genesis chapter 3. That once sin entered into the world, that God said to Eve, there will be strife between your offspring and Satan's offspring. There will be this cosmic battle. Satan has dominion in this world. He has power in this world. This world is not like it's supposed to be. And as Jesus enters the synagogue, and as Jesus begins to teach, He's confronted With a man who is possessed by demons. And what he wants us to know, what God wants us to know, as they are amazed not only at the teaching, verse 27, with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, even the devil, the unclean spirits, The prince of this world obeys him because they recognize his authority. Have you ever thought about this? What power does man, let's not talk about Christians, let's just generically use the word man, woman. What power does man and woman naturally have over demonic forces? Isn't it interesting that when we read the Bible and we see something like this, that um, just then a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit comes in, that the, the, the man or the person who is tortured or who is inhabited by these unclean spirits of these demons, they have no control. How would you respond this morning... If someone came in here who was demon possessed. Somebody get some holy water, get to the Catholic Church and back. Is there a book somewhere in here? Is there some kind of thing that we're supposed to say? 
What do we do? Probably many of us would hide. Notice what happens when Jesus is confronted with this man who's demon-possessed. Get this. The demons scream. Jesus is totally cool. Jesus is totally comfortable. It's the demon that screams out. In fact, when you look at every time that Jesus is confronting with someone who's demon-possessed, the, the writer will use, God wants us to see and hear, it is the demons, it is the person that screams out. Jesus is not scared. He knows that He has all authority over Satan and his demons. Look at verse 23. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out. The presence of Jesus turns demonic forces into babbling crybabies. Do you see that? Do you see that? Not only that, but, but notice, notice something here. Look at what the demons say to Jesus. Verse 24. What business do we have with each other? Just leave us alone. Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. The Holy One of God. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 3. I want you to see something here. I want you to see a pattern here. In verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, Jesus, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. Keep flipping over to chapter five, verse seven. This is the story of the demoniac. And Jesus, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High, I implore you by God not to torment me. The demons, the demonic powers, know who Jesus is and they call Him by the right name. And the reason they are screaming, the reason that they are shaking in their boots is because they know the authority and power that He has and they are saying, what are you going to do? Destroy us. Because they know that He can. He has power over them. And then notice what Jesus does. Does Jesus have to... Um, uh, 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 recite some sort of incantation to, to get the demons to come out? Does Jesus have to wave some kind of wand or to do some kind of uh, trick? I don't know what I would call this. Notice that Jesus doesn't even pray. Jesus essentially says, shut up and come out. Sorry, kids. I know that's a bad word in some homes. Be quiet and come out. I believe that Jesus has the power. He didn't really have to say anything. Jesus could have just thought it and those demons would have been destroyed. But Jesus, to demonstrate His power, His authority over demons, doesn't say fancy words. He says, be quiet and come out. And the demons flee. 
throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. All authority is his. Do you see the power of this man? He is truth. Even the demonic forces, the prince of this age, is no match for him. And as he comes into this disordered world, he comes as the the most powerful man ever. And he comes to redeem One more thing that I want you to see. Look at verses 29 through 30. And he immediately, after they came out of the synagogue, they came to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. Notice the trifecta here. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. That what you have is you have Jesus teaching. You have Jesus casting out demons. And you have Jesus healing. This trifecta happens over and over and over. And what I am trying to relate to you. Is that within this trifecta. I think that God wants us to see. The deepest, the deepest thing that is going on here. And that is, is that in his teaching he is truth. In his word he is truth. That, that even though that because of the curse at the very beginning, because of the curse, Satan has dominion, that Jesus has come to overcome the dominion of Satan. And the other thing that we see is that in Jesus, in Jesus, the curse of sickness and death is overcome. In Genesis 3, if we were to turn back there, that man and woman are kicked out of the garden. Within the garden, things are perfect. Man is at harmony with God. Man is at harmony with nature. There is no sickness, there is no dying, there is no death. And so what we see as he is kicked out of the garden, that he has promised that there will be toil, there will be pain, there will be sickness, and there will be death. And this is the world that Jesus comes into. And Jesus is demonstrating His authority over sickness and death. And we see it here as Peter's mother-in-law is lying here in the bed, sick with a fever. And Jesus came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And, you, you know, it's always interesting to me. This isn't like one of those recovering things like, man, I was sick, I was almost dead, I need some time to recuperate. Nope, she jumped right up and started serving him. We see the power of Jesus over sickness and over death. Now, if we don't understand the authority and the power of this sovereign king, we will not see the cross properly. The cross of Christ becomes scandalous Because the one who is the authority, who has all the power, who is the sovereign, is killed. 
We've got to understand the authority for the cross to seem scandalous, to be scandalous, because it is scandalous. And what it brings home to us is this. No one can take his life from him. Who is it? What force or man is it that can nail Jesus to the cross? He's got all authority. He's got all power. What we see in this moment is that Jesus, Jesus gave his life because no one can take it from him. And in doing this, we know, we know in him giving his life, he crushes Satan. He crushes death. And in raising from the grave, it gives us the potential to be reconciled to God. So the questions become, do you see Jesus for who He is? And how are you going to respond? And Jesus did not come just to gather crowds. Jesus didn't come just to gather crowds. Look at verse 33. And the whole city gathered at His door. Look at verse 37. They found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And then in verse 45, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. But he stayed out in unpopulated areas because they were coming out to him for everywhere. And what Jesus wants us to know and what we see as we continue to read this gospel is that Jesus didn't come to gather crowds. He came for followers. And we know that the crowds wouldn't ultimately follow. And that Jesus also, what we see in this text, He didn't come just to give you facts about a historical figure. Do you notice in this account that the demons know more than the people in the synagogue? And I would propose that Satan knows more about Jesus than you do and I do. Satan knows more truth about Jesus than we do. Jesus didn't come just to fill our heads with knowledge. He came and died so that by hearing His words that we respond and we know that these are the words of life and we lay down our lives to follow Him. Will you repent? Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you follow? All authority, all honor, all glory is due to Him. How will you respond? Lewis ended his sermon this morning with a recording of Is He Worthy? by Shane and Shane. We did not stream this song at the 11 o'clock service. But we do think that you would enjoy listening to this song, and you can find it on YouTube. We also recommend that when you listen to it, you get the version from Shane and Shane that has the lyrics, because they are very appropriate. God bless you.